This is Unquote, the least contentious peanut gallery in history. I'm Cooper Powers. This week we're covering Ron Howard's historical docudrama Apollo 13, based on the actual events of the NASA fiasco. Dubbed a successful failure, the mission proved two things. America still had far to come in terms of space travel, and any line delivered by Tom Hanks is sure to stick in the lexicon of cinema-goers for years to come. The line, slightly dramatized, is spoken when the Apollo 13 crew member Jack Swaggart, portrayed by Kevin Bacon, does a routine maintenance stir of the cryotanks on board the ship. The explosion sends the ship into a wild pitch. After initial confusion and bearing orientation, Tom Hanks hurriedly announces, Houston, we have a problem. It's known to be a faulty coil that sparked the oxygen explosion, and the ingenuity and improvisation that brought the astronauts home is now stuff of legend. The Apollo 13 had a nation, whose passivity with space travel was increasing by the year, brought to a standstill, fraught with worry and hoping against hope that her sons would return from that perilous frontier. My guest this week, Patrick, knew a thing or two about his favorite movie and was glad to share. Number 50 on AFI's Top 100 Movie Quotes list, launching in 3, 2, 1... Well, we have Patrick Brennan on the podcast this week. He, he's a, a friend of ours from out of town. He decided to drop in for a visit, and we're very happy to have him here. I know I am. And uh, we're going to be talking about the 1995 film Apollo 13 by Ron Howard. Thoughts thoughts right off the bat, Pat? Thoughts right off the bat? Well, I love Tom Hanks. I think that's uh, kind of a universal American thing. He is America's actor. It's, it's, it is known. It's true. Uh, well, he is one of my favorite actors. This is one of my favorite movies. Uh, and after rewatching it, it might be my favorite movie. I watch it occasionally. I don't rewatch movies often, so it's kind of unique for any movie to be rewatched by me. And I've probably seen Apollo 13 maybe three times in the past full year. Not this 2016 year, but including 2015. Wow. So to say it's your favorite movie is no stretch. Of it's, not a, it's not a stretch to say that. No. And it's, it's the score. It's, it's all the elements combined to make oh. it... Absolutely. What, what what makes this your, your, maybe not your perfect movie, but one of your favorite movies? I'd say a combination of things, starting with the soundtrack. This is probably the best soundtrack of any movie that uh, I have seen, by far, I would say. Uh-huh. I don't know, are you a soundtrack guy? I am a soundtrack guy. It, it wasn't Brian Grazer, was it? It was a James Warner. James Warner, that's James right, Warner. okay. Brian Grazer was the produ- I don't know producer what, or something, I can't remember. He was involved. Yeah. But this is a James Warner soundtrack. I'm a... I'm a like I said, I'm a pretty big soundtrack guy when it comes to movies. So when I heard Apollo 13 soundtrack, it just blew me away. I saw this maybe when I was eight or nine. Mm-hmm. I was going through kind of a space phase. And we, we all have it. We course. all have it. Mine wasn't the third grade. It started with a movie called October Sky. Ah, uh, yes. You remember October Sky? Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. So that kind of spawned this space phase for me. So I got my hands on every space movie I could find, say like Moonraker, James uh-huh. Bond, like really, obs- it's not like barely Every talk- space movie for better or worse. Exactly. <laughs> and then I saw Apollo 13, uh, it just blew me away. And October Sky also has a great soundtrack. It know, does. Speaking of soundtracks. It's, it's theme is really recognizable to me, that, really that singular violin that plays. It's, it's kind of similar because it has a really good standalone theme on its own and it also uses both movies. October Sky and Apollo 13, they both use third-party licensed songs, mm-hmm. which are really great yeah. also. And especially that are era-specific in both cases. Exactly. Um, and uh, this this kind of love affair for, for this movie has maybe spawned an interest in one of your hobbies that you were telling, telling us about. 
that you uh, flying? Yeah, flying. flying. Absolutely. Uh, well, I was a big participant in the Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. I ended up as an Eagle Scout. So uh, watching this movie at a young age, I saw Tom Hanks playing Jim Lovell. But Jim Lovell was an Eagle Scout. He was kind of this role model for me. Obviously, I, I encountered Jim Lovell through Tom Hanks. So <laughs> for for a while, I was just imagining Tom Hanks as my role model. Uh, but the character nonetheless. Yeah. So you get a lot of morality from this movie and acting under pressure and decision making and the right or wrong of it. It's cool, great. man. Maybe not meeting the guy uh, in real life, but you know, definitely seeing what all he went through. And even if it was in a dramatized way, it still you know it still happened based on true events. Oh right, absolutely. This is one of those movies that you really you see it and you wonder if it was true. I remember reading somewhere that some early reviewer went in saw the movie. And they wrote typical Hollywood. It the ending was unbelievable. No, they would have never survived that. That, wow. that was an actual review <laughs> after the movie came out. That sounds something akin to BuzzFeed, right? Something yeah. like that. That's hilarious, man. Um, and I don't it, know if that guy like went in not knowing. But see, that's we were talking about it yesterday. Ron Howard was. I'm sure he was under pressure to get a lot of things right in the film, and you know, to, and he wanted to anyway to be, great, to be to be the great director that he is to continue that. But oh, yeah. um, so the line in question that we're talking about, the mm-hmm. line is Houston, we have a problem. Yes, and it was uttered when um, you know they stirred the crowd tanks and things were getting out of control. There was a spark that caused the explosion. Yes, yes, and. Um, I do know for a fact that if you go back and listen to any kind of archival sound footage from the mission, mm-hmm. it was said in somewhat of a cooler, more calmly collected manner than it was in the film. But that's that's Hollywood. It was that yeah. that is Hollywood. That's but, Hollywood. You know, um, right. You can't, you can't blame them for that. That just sucks the audience in. You know, really puts them in the right. No. Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, I actually did listen to that recording a while ago, so it's not fresh in my mind. But I remember it was much more calm, cool. They relayed information from Houston to the capsule in a much more professional way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there were some heated things that were said, but probably not on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's that's only natural given the situation. Definitely. Obviously. And uh, and I, I was as I was watching the movie, I noticed that the phrase or some iteration thereof of we have a problem was said three times in the film, leading leading up to the phrase in question. Right. And the first time was um, when uh, Jim Lovell's wife is having a nightmare, mm. and um, actually happened apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. And um, you know, it's kind of like prophetic vision. And then he says, "We've we've had a problem or something like that." And right. before the the glass explodes and they're sucked into the vacuum of space, mm-hmm. um, which was very disconcerting, very <laughs> scary scene. Um, I, well, the first time I saw it as a kid, yeah, very scary. Yeah, yeah. And then the second time was was when Deke approaches Jim Lovell. I think on the launch platform when they're setting up for the rocket launch and he says, Jim, we have a problem. Yes. And that's when Ken Mattingly was... Measles? Yes, measles. Right. And uh, Which turns out he didn't have... Total letdown, man. I love how they villainized the uh, flight surgeon doctor guy. Yeah. Yeah, he was just... Hence the phrase, flight surgeon horse. (laughs) And then uh, Swagger actually said it... I can't remember what the circumstances was, but it was like just seconds before... Um, in the real recording? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that happened. And then uh, they, they're, you know, <clears throat> copy, say, say again, um, Apollo, and then, and then they said, you know, we've had a problem. So mm-hmm. that was just a little, maybe a little a little pretense for, for them leading up to it, because I'm sure people had recognition of the line beforehand. Right. 
and they were like, oh, they said it. Oh, when's it, when's it coming next? What's oh, going to yeah. happen next? Man. And, uh, but as far as lines go, what, you said you noticed some things maybe stood out in the movie. Or, or, or are there any other lines that, were, that maybe grabbed you that you think might be a good replacement for Houston? We've had a problem. I mean, it's so iconic, I know. but Definitely, um, definitely. All right, well, what you got? There is an alternative. Uh, my, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of people might see this the same way. There's an Ed Helms line. They're talking about solutions to, I think it's the controlled burn decision to how they're going to get the command module and the lunar module on course to get to Earth. And he says, failure is not an option. After this other... Oh, Ed Harris does? Yes. Not Ed Helms, sorry. (laughs) Ed Helms. Andy Andy Bernard working working on mission control. Oh, man. I think that is a more encompassing line that kind of binds together the spirit of this movie. Mm -hmm. Failure is not an option. Oh, yeah. Well said. Yeah, kind of this idea that no matter what, we're going to keep working until the end. You know, absolutely, without question. Houston, we have a problem. It's dramatic. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely why they made that the, kind of the tagline of the movie. Um, but I think for in terms of like themes, uh, failure is not an option. It's definitely preferable. Very cool. I like that one. I, I had noticed one, and it was also said by Ed Harris... And uh, looking just ultra fly in that silk white vest that his wife made him. Oh yeah, uh, rocking rocking the flat top for austerity. Oh yeah. And uh, it was, um, I think maybe director of opera or he was director of flight operations. I think it was maybe the guy above him said, you know, we gotta get these boys home. This may be the biggest disaster NASA's ever had. Yes. And then Ed, Ed Harris oh, says, yes. with all due respect, sir, I believe this is gonna be our finest hour. That is another great line. This movie was perfectly casted, I think. Oh, I think so too. Uh, and it's it's funny that you mentioned casting because uh, we've we've uh, given lip service to Bill Paxton before in some of our previous episodes. Really, we have my brother and I are. This was my first Bill Paxton movie. Really? Yeah. Oh man, what a, what a great one to start on. It was a great one to start. And, and then uh, I saw his other movies. Not that he's bad. <laughs> yeah. But go on. What were you saying? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was all implied in your voice. I picked up on it. Um, yeah. But you know, we give lip service to Bill Paxton because. He says things in ways only Bill Paxton can, and yes. you know it's like you. It's like the word you said the other day. He has the chutzpah. He has the chutzpah, uh, and it's funny because him as well as um, Kevin Bacon actually really favored the guys in real life that they were portraying. They did. Um, Jack Swagger definitely. I think him and Kevin Bacon were dead ringers for each other. Oh yeah. And uh, Fred Hayes and Bill Paxton definitely favored each other too. But Fred Hayes was actually known as kind of a goofball. Yeah. in real life and I know that because I didn't know that he actually went to Biloxi High School which is the high school that I went to he's really? from my hometown yes there is he mentions his hometown and his home high school mm-hmm. in the film. and they, they kind of butcher their pronunciation they say Biloxi okay. which seems counterintuitive well, I mean, it's I mean it seems intuitive <laughs> because of the way it's spelled but right. um, it's you know it's, I guess it's a southern draw Biloxi well but so it, there's a portrait of him hanging in our hallway really yes it probably didn't help that, I mean, he made like a kind of little call out of the high school by saying he was like one of the few people that made it out. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it's, that probably didn't help your... You know, your it's... I'm not going to help it either. That's probably actually pretty true. <laughs> oh. um, but, uh, you know, Biloxi's, Biloxi's a great town. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, I believe it, yeah. We, we produce a astronaut. Exactly. Not not plural. Just <laughs> um, Right. And, and he's the one that pukes in space. But anyway. Right. And I also noticed that... Uh, Jim Lovell was a technical consultant on the movie. We saw that at the credits last night. I think he was a huge help in getting this movie made correctly. Mm-hmm. I know he helped. He explained. He well, they based this on the book Lost Moon, 
They were probably who who wrote the book, uh, if, if I may. Who was it? Was it all three of them that? I think it was Fred Hayes and Jim Lovell. Okay. I, they probably had a ghost. Because Swaggart had passed away about this at this point. Right, cancer. Okay. I know that from the movie. Right. <laughs> closing um, credits. Closing credits. Um, I think they were probably planning this movie from the second that everyone found out that this accident had happened. Right. It's just an amazing story. Why wouldn't they? Um, isn't it? Isn't it crazy how <laughs> entertainment is born from? Almost certain disaster sometimes, right? You know, you know when you. I mean, everyone says this. I'm going to say it again. This is just an unbelievable survival story. Those guys should be dead. In terms of things, when things go wrong, it usually happens either in the beginning or the ending of like a mission. This happened in the middle. Yeah. I. I mean, and what happened? The explosion. Have you, did you did you see a picture of the actual damage? No, I know that you've got a cross section of the Saturn V rocket here. Oh, I do. I also have a picture of the damage. Because they filmed it as it was, as the command module was uh, flying away from yeah. the lunar module, the command module section. So I, I'm showing it to him right now. It's kind. Of, they took a video of it in space. It's oh kind of my twisted. gosh! There's the gas right there. Yeah, it's and it, it's pretty. Um, if you've seen the movie, it looks just about. It the is. Same. They they uh, while they didn't use any stock archival footage in the movie, they tried to portray it as accurately as possible, and that looks pretty damn accurate to me. Yeah. That is crazy. And that was what sent them careening off into the infinite unknown. Right. It is. Exactly. The exchanges in the command module between the astronauts, I'm sure in some respects it was very exaggerated. exaggerated. But do you think, I mean, was it overdone for Hollywood's sake or do you think they actually, you know? I'm sure there were conflicts, but specifically in the movie, the, not Fred Hayes, Jack Swaggart, he comes in and he's riled up because he thinks NASA's not telling them uh, that they're, they're withholding information, yeah. right? And then Fred Hayes gets angry at Jack about firing or stirring the tanks. It's kind of a little argument that is really believable uh, in the like the tension that was probably in that spaceship. But according to Jim Lovell, from what I've read, that didn't happen. Hmm. I'm pretty sure these guys were professional through and through. Absolutely, they didn't fight it. You'd okay. have to be. Yeah, exactly. And going off that professionalism. They're, when they're on the dark side of the moon and they're looking down at the landing site they were supposed to land on, mm-hmm. I don't think this was ever a serious consideration at all. But I think it was Fred Hayes in the movie who suggested like yeah. they could potentially land. It's kind of like a fantastical idea, like a hope, like a lost hope idea. Mm-hmm. Jim Lovell immediately dismisses it. Like, I'm, I'm going home. We're going home, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but... Uh... Yeah. And I, I'm, I don't know, have you read the book? I have not read the book. I wonder if one of my favorite parts in the movie to just, you know, show the, the condition of the human spirit and how, you know, the will to survive is everything on an individual level. Right. Jack Swaggart has the no piece of paper yes. written above the castle. <laughs> That's release. a funny little thing, yeah. right? Well, I was feeling a bit punchy. I didn't want <laughs> you too. That is a Kevin Bacon line. It right is. Yeah. <laughs> a little punchy. That and uh, we got a wicked shimmy up here. Right. And then I love that Kevin Bacon scene where he comes out of the shower with the hot girl. Yeah! Right, right off the Footloose train, dude. Right. I'm telling you. He almost burst into it. Oh, man, but how painful must it have been? Uh, Jim Lovell was on Apollo 8, which circled the moon, so mm-hmm. he'd basically already done this. But then to go, to have a chance to go back and walk on it, and to like have something go terribly wrong, you can't, and then pass by it again, not 200 miles above it, that had to be painful. 
the computational power, as you know, uh, in the spaceship is very insignificant. Yeah. Your phone today has, I mean, exponentially more computing Absolutely. power yeah. than that spaceship. So all that, all those calculations were done by NASA, including like the approach trajectory to land on the moon. So without that information, they probably would have been pretty screwed yeah. trying to make that landing. There's there's more telemetry in Facebook than exactly. there is in the and Apollo 13 yeah. mission. Absolutely. <laughs> Analytics and everything like that. That's so crazy to think about. Patrick had his own special story to share about life and death behind the cockpit. I want to ask you a personal question. You don't don't feel like you have to answer it. Yeah, I'll go for have it. you I know you've you've logged some flight time uh, in your in your flight school training. Right. Have there any been have there ever been any scary fl- moments? Yeah, scary moments. There's one big one that I can definitely draw upon. Um, and there's another scene in the movie I want to talk about that involves fear. Yeah. Um, but for me, I recently got my pilot's license. I've, I'm not like anything special. I just got my license uh, about three or four months ago. But tr- getting up to that point, we were going through maneuvers. One of them is a, like you do a controlled stall, basically, mm-hmm. with the power on. So to do that, you pull the nose up really hard until... You lose a lot of speed, the wings start to shake, and then you stall. It's all very controlled, you're supposed to remain calm. You point the nose down, you get some more speed, and the plane levels off. But what happened was, uh, and you're supposed to train for this, uh, the plane started to go into a spin. I don't know if you've seen Top Gear, but that's that's how Goose dies when yeah. uh, they go into that flat spin. Oh, we, we've had an episode on Top Gear before. You've done it, Top Gear episode. That was all that was going through my head. And when you're in a spin, it's a very exaggerated... The wing yanks down to the right violently, and you start to, you, the nose points straight down to the earth. Actually, you're very much in control. It just, it feels like, and it looks like you are not, because the plane is pointing straight down, <laughs> and you're spinning, and... So this has happened to you. This was, this is during, this is in situation with one of your... Yes, teams. I wasn't trying to do a spin. It just happened. I had my instructor in the plane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank God. Um... <laughs> And he immediately took over. We didn't even go into a full spin. It was just uh, maybe a quarter of a spin. But it still scared the bejesus out of me. I'm sure. Yeah. In that situation, I wasn't ready for that at all. But that's because I, that was literally the first time I've ever been in that situation. Mm-hmm. But it, scared, it made me think I was about to die. I have never felt that way. Um, I was like soaked with adrenaline after that. It was crazy. Imagine being in the crushing blackness a million miles exactly. from home. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. They were in a situation a hundred times worse than that. And, I mean, there's no instructor there. It's all on what they know. Well, uh, what do you think? What, what was your favorite scene? My favorite scene? Probably because it's Tom Hanks doing his best. You know, I feel like, I feel like he's got a very subtle nuance to him. Yeah. That, that can maybe be lost on some people. But it's, it's when he is... Uh, in his backyard, and he's moving his thumb up and down a way. I have that as one of my favorite scenes. I mean, it's just great. Yes, his wife is obviously a nervous wreck, right? And he's not even in the flight suit yet. <laughs> but then Tom puts the moves on. <laughs> but then Tom says, "Well, you know, you just need to look closer." <laughs> Rolls right. Yeah, you gotta, get into those, you gotta get into those pale white so trenches. Subtle. If you know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're right. And uh, oh my, you know why? Why 13, Jim? Well, because it's after 12, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so smooth. Yeah, I think pre-accident pre-training, everything like that. It shows the indomitable spirit of exploration that we had during that time. Well said. Um, it shows just the fearlessness and just the capacity to really just grab space by the by, by the by the Jupiters, you know? And, oh, yeah. And go for it. <laughs> Hang on tight. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, to counter that, I agree with what you said, but you also see how unbelievably passive like everyone seemed to be mm-hmm. about this mission. I mean, it's right after Apollo 11, and they didn't that live broadcast that they did. Yeah. It it wasn't picked up by networks. And they even said like, "Oh, it's routine now." And then somebody said, "There's nothing routine no, about no. space travel." It was just unbelievable. Yeah, like other things in this movie, like. People not being interested in a lunar mission. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe that. And NASA's still underfunded. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Man, crazy. Yeah, but that was one of my favorite scenes. Another one of mine was when Tom Hanks is being interviewed on TV. They're doing one of those segments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and someone asks him if he's ever experienced fear. And he's talking about when he was flying. Yeah. Yeah. The phosphorescent. That's um, one of my algae. favorite monologues. I actually tried to audition for a. Uh, some theater thing with that monologue. Really? Yeah, I did. It was kind of crazy. How'd it go? Yeah, well, I never actually went to the audition. Oh. So I did memorize the speech. <laughs> I just never got to use it. I'm sure you probably would have gotten it. Were you going to dye your hair black and yep. change, your na- change your name to uh, Thomas? Thomas. Thomas playing Jim. <laughs> right. <laughs> it would have been a very meta audition. Very meta. <laughs> they wouldn't get it. I'm Thomas playing Jim. <laughs> playing Thomas playing Jim. Yeah. Uh, can, you pl- can you please leave, sir? <laughs> right. One of the big scenes that's really big with nerd, well, I'm not going to say nerdy people, but NASA people themselves, which I think they self-describe as being very accurate to real life, mm-hmm. is the scene where they're trying to rebuild this CO2 filter yeah. from scratch out of stuff that they carried Round on the mission. Round peg and a square hole. Exactly. Man, that is, that is a very interesting scene to watch. They lay out everything on that table and they have to cobble together this uh, completely unique invention from very random parts that were not meant to do that. Yeah. Very cool. And funny enough, I don't know if you noticed or not, but I only know this because my parents have one. And I'm sure it's that old. There's the They drink a ton of coffee while they're making that stuff. But if you notice the Mr. Coffee coffee maker, yes, that wasn't actually made until 1970-something. Really? Yeah. <laughs> there are so, a couple things that they got wrong with the timeline. Some, some anachronisms. That's interesting, though. Um, the other, the other one. I only I, recognize it because it's in my parents' it's house. Still. Yeah, it's that old. I'm I mean, like, that's that helpful. Probably shouldn't be there. Huh. <laughs> the other one uh, that mm-hmm. I've I read about was you know how Tom the night before the launch is across the street from uh, his wife and all the families, all the yeah. astronauts are on one side. Yeah. That wasn't a thing until the space shuttle program. Oh, okay. Like a last minute uh, isolation to protect them from illnesses and stuff. Huh. Yeah. So that's interesting. interesting. But everything else they tried to do to the letter. Did, have, did you read about um, what they did for this every set piece they did? Except the exterior shots. I'm sure. Right. They they made their own capsules, right? And then they had capsules. them segmented. Right. And then they put them in the planes and did the weightless thing. Oh, yeah. The, the, the vomit comets. Right. But, I mean, the accuracy in this film is incredible. For the Flight Control Center, they rebuilt... NASA offered for them to use the original... The actual flight control room uh, that Apollo 13 used. Uh, Ron Howard said, no, we're going to build our own. So they built this exact replica. All the cast had working headsets. All the TVs displayed actual information. Uh, The monitors had things that would reflect what was going on in the mission at the time. The actors attended flight school training, where actual flight controllers go to train. Uh, And the actors attended space camp also. That's interesting. (laughs) In every detail was insane. They, as you know, they rebuilt these capsules mm-hmm. perfectly. But did you know uh, the spacesuits that they wear for launch? 
Those are actual replica spacesuits. They're airtight. They pumped air into the suits. Really? Absolutely. Man. Isn't that cool? That is very cool. There's an episode of Arrested Development where you go into Ron Howard's office for a scene and you see the lunar module. Yeah, it's in the corner. It's yeah. in the corner. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> I thought that was great. And one last line that I thought was interesting mm. was um, he's talking to his son right before he's heading off to military school. Right. And he says, get a haircut. Get a haircut. That's very apropos of the times, you know, right. oh, you dirty hippie, you get a, get a job and a haircut. I thought that was pretty funny. Right. So. Also, Kevin Bacon hitting on that girl with the cup and the <laughs> beer bottle. <laughs> the probe fits. <sighs> Just slides in there and it clicks. Ooh, nothing better. Nothing better than that. <laughs> well, man, Patrick, I appreciate you sitting down and talking with me, man. I had a good time. Yeah, I had fun. I've shed some light on some very interesting points, and uh, thank you for sharing that that story with us. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad you Absolutely. had something to tie to the movie and... Try to avoid glad you, made, glad you made it back to ground safe. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Unquote This Week. Musical considerations provided by bensound.com, high-quality intro and outro music, Big Kenny's Dirty Dance remix of the popular song Footloose, and finally, Shiny Toy Gun's cover of Peter Schilling's Major Tom Coming Home. That does it for Unquote This Week. Tune in next week when we'll cover another one of AFI's Top 100 Movie Quotes list. Until then, I'm Cooper Powers, and keep the film rolling.